Welcome back, everybody. It's the Betting Pros College Football Show. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I am joined, as always, by the uh, you know the the pride of Kansas at uh, Thor KU on the Twitter machine. It is Thor Nystrom. Uh, your Jayhawks are rolling. Look, I hated it last year when they burned me. I went all the way out to Austin to see my Longhorns play. The Jayhawks upset them on a two-point conversion at the end of the game when Texas had climbed back into it after being down. But, hey, they're making me money this year. So uh, we like them. I think we're going to ride that over again for Kansas this week. But, uh, uh, Thor, you got to be doing pretty good watching your Jayhawks here. How's uh, how's week four treating you so far? Uh, any, any weekend, Jayhawk football wins. It's a good weekend. <laughs> and, of course, the, the better team won last year in Austin. And the better team certainly won yes, or a couple days ago when they played Houston, just like it did when they played West Virginia. So hoping Kansas can keep it rolling. They're 3-0, and just like Thomas, the producer, Syracuse Orange are 3-0. and And now Kansas gets Duke. So – yeah crossing the fingers crossing the fingers and my uh my loser team is the only one ranked out of that bunch and we're two and one so uh <laughs> you know uh play, played alabama hard but obviously i uh, couldn't get it done but uh, as always we're going to start with the thursday and friday games we're going to tell you where the cash is on uh some of these games we got a decent amount of spreads and a couple over unders then we'll hit the top five big games of the week and then talk about uh, Thor's differences. So let's start out with these Thursday and Friday games. Um, we have six, but only five are on the slate in terms of betting. I believe Illinois plays like Chattanooga. Yeah. So there's no real line in that game. So um, start out with Coastal uh, minus two at Georgia State. The over in that one is 61 and a half. We got WVU minus a point and a half on the road at Virginia Tech. That one has kind of gone back and forth. Virginia at Syracuse. Syracuse is minus eight and a half. The over is 52 and a half in that game. That one is on Friday. Nevada Air Force, another Friday matchup. Air Force, a 24-point home favorite against Nevada. Nevada has looked terrible. Uh, 45 is the over in that game. And Boise State, 15 and a half point road favorites on the road against UTEP. 45 and a half is the over in that game, Thor. Do you have any um, strong leans in any of these Thursday, Friday games? What are you looking at uh, in this uh, grouping here? Yeah, for sure. Let's let's take them day by day. On on Thursday, it's interesting because sharp betters they love two of the they love both these games. One particular side, I agree with them on one of them, and I don't agree with them on the other one. The side where I agree with the sharp betters is Virginia Tech. I I think that's the objectively right side. Uh, Virginia Tech, they some things they have not done very well this year. Other things they're doing better. And I think they might be a little bit better than people think. Um, the, you know, people are having a hard time getting it out of their head. Them getting upset by Old Dominion in that first yeah. game, yeah. And I, I think it's just Old hard Dominion's to separate good, yourself. They're not bad, yeah. I mean, yeah. they almost almost upset Virginia last week. You know, for instance. Um, and I think Old Dominion's going to win this week handily too. But we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll get to that later on, maybe. But yeah, I mean, I I've not been impressed with West Virginia on any of my viewings. I came into the season lower on West Virginia than other folks. The one thing that West Virginia has shown that they can do decently well on offense this year is generate explosive runs. But when the passing game isn't at least getting the short completions, that bogs down too. They have to be completing the passes to get teams away from from starting to stack the box against them. That Donaldson kid just came out of nowhere. The problem has been West Virginia's passing offense has not been as good, I think, as some people had hoped. Uh, JT Daniels, who has been run out of his last two starting jobs, he has not refound the the five-star pedigree that he came out with. And they don't have a really good receiving core. There's been a lot of drops with West Virginia so far this year. So I, I question whether they can pass the ball effectively enough against West Virginia to open up the opportunities to get those chunk runs, disincentivize Virginia Tech from putting people in the box, et cetera. Uh, Virginia Tech, that what they're best at, it's their defense. They struggle a little bit on, on offense, of course, but if they can play the, the low-scoring, grinded-out games, the, I mean, that's what they want to do. And I think that they're going to be able to get that here. Um, it, I also like the under, uh, probably like, you know, you probably think that my adjusted total on the game is 41 and a half. It's 52 and a half live. So to me, I'm seeing more of a low scoring game that Virginia tech pulls out at the end of the game. My, my adjusted, uh, side on that game is Virginia tech minus 3.8. So I, okay. I have the other team, uh, favorite. 
I so I like Virginia Tech to pull, you know, the small upset. I, I won't consider it an upset, but I, I think Virginia Tech's gonna win. The and and the you know, like I was alluding to, the Sharps are on Virginia Tech in mass in that game. The Sharps are also in mass on Georgia State. Uh, you know, the, the game that kicks off. Oh, it looks like the exact same time. I hate when they do that on the Thursday nights. Give us a yeah. little bit of a give us a split. Look, ESPN. I got I got to be honest, Thor. My Steelers are playing tomorrow, so I won't. You know, I'll have it on the second screen. But uh, I know, and my family knows, and my neighbors know that I'll be uh, screaming at my television for Pittsburgh. But I'll take a look at it. But yeah, I don't like it when they do that either. Give us a late game or an yeah. early game. Just separate them a little bit. They even did that on Monday Night Football, by the way with those two games starting in the middle of each other. I don't like that either. Like break them I up. prefer that though. You don't prefer Do the split? Really? Yeah. I mean, cause then they're not ending at the same time. The progression's different. You can well, flip back I, no, and no, no, no. But, but I would rather have one finish and then pick up the other one. Oh, you know what course. I mean? Kind of like they do NBA yeah. playoff games, like let yeah. them finish and then do the other one. But would you rather have it? Would you rather have the time staggered to start or at the exact same time? Oh, definitely staggered, hundred percent. So okay, good. Can, and whoever's so calling me attention. feels the same way, apparently. To, <laughs> to one for sure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, do you have a do you have a lean in this? Uh, yeah, in, Colts well, in Georgia State. In that one, I would be lean. So, so the first one is a bet for me. I am on Virginia Tech. I mm-hmm. I like Virginia Tech. This one, I lean the other way, but from where the sharp money is going, but I'm not going to bet it because I, you know, I respect the sharp money. They might be seeing something that I'm not seeing, but I, I like Coastal Carolina in this game. You know, you have a 3-0 team against an 0-3 team, and yet the majority of the money is coming in on the 0-3 team, even though the more tickets have been bought on on Coastal Carolina. But the Sharps were also on Georgia State last week when they – they definitely didn't cover. I'm, I'm trying to remember who they were playing, but the the sharp the seemed to believe very much they in lost to Charlotte. To no, Charlotte State, yeah. yeah. So so they were on them, and I think they might have even been on Georgia State the week before as well. And and we had talked in our our discard Discord thing about how Chris Reynolds coming back changed the equation for Charlotte. So maybe you don't blame the sharp for not knowing he was going to be back, but it it seems like that's a team where the sharps have, have been higher on them throughout the season so far and remain so now the sharps very clearly you know i mean you know not all of them you know i mean they you know however many there are i'm sure it's not completely uniform but but by the numbers that's where the the money is coming in on on georgia state but again georgia state hasn't looked great this year definitely not as good as we thought they would be you know i mean like i, I think some people were hoping that they could sort of emerge near the top of that sun belt you know we we had seen the growth of that program under Sean Elliott, and they were bringing so many guys back and stuff like that. But the quarterback hasn't looked good in the limited exposure that I've gotten to him. There's been some accuracy aversion there. And when the passing game is not going, the running game is played down. They also haven't played as good on defense. It's the reason that they're 0-3. They also have injury concerns in this game. It's it's There's too many guys to list, but Georgia State has like five key contributors that are questionable right now. And I don't know if, if they're going to play or not, or if they do, are they going to be compromised, et cetera. Coastal Carolina was the team that lost everybody over the offseason, except for Grayson McCall. But, you know, we've seen what they've done in the past. You were just sort of in, in early season trying to get sort of a read on how good that team is now. We'll have a better idea coming out of Thursday night. But I, I like Coastal Carolina more heading in than Georgia State. But, you know, again, just because of what the market's telling me and my experience with this, I'm not going to bet that out of respect for some of the, these sharp players. But I would lean Coastal Carolina. Uh, all right. What do you like in the Friday games? Uh, like we mentioned before, we've got um, Virginia at Syracuse, Nevada at Air Force, Boise State at UTEP. And look, if you don't have a good lean, uh, we, we can skip them. But do you like anything for Friday night? I, I got one bet on on Friday night. And the other two, I, I have what I would feel like are legitimate leans, even though I, I haven't okay. bet them yet. I, I like Syracuse a lot on, you know, in, in the first one, that game kicks off at, at 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern. And I'm not just saying that because Thomas is producing and he'll make my screen go black if I if I go the other <laughs> way with Virginia. But I I don't understand why this line is not already in the double digits. It seemed like, you know, it opened at Syracuse minus eight. And I, I was talking on the Sunday show with Thomas. This thing's going to be double digits in a blink. And it, it actually was like it, it had toggled up to like minus 10 on Monday. But it's weird because there's been a little buyback since then. And I don't know who's betting on Virginia. I don't know what you could have seen of Virginia to this point to be confident in them. Virginia has very clearly taken 
numerous steps down since the end of last season. Lost the coaching staff. They lost their entire offensive line, a couple of them to graduation. The rest of them just up and left. You know, the center yeah. went to, to Michigan and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you had to you had to re- replace the, the coaching staff. You had to replace the in, entire offensive line. The defense already wasn't very good. You were just sort of hanging your hat on the idea that they had a star quarterback and Brennan Armstrong and then four NFL receivers. Well, the problem so far is the, the offensive line is so leaky on the Virginia side. Armstrong can't even sit back there and and survey for the receivers. He's getting pressure immediately. Their running running game, which wasn't good before, it's still not good. And so it's like this one-dimensional offense who is being extremely handicapped by the offensive line that they're playing behind. It's it, it has taken, you know, sort of taken the wings off of the, the aerial attack. And then on the, the Syracuse side, you tell me how Virginia is going to defend this offense. I, I don't know how they defend either the running game of Schrader and Tucker. I think they're going to run all over them. Yeah. I also don't know how Virginia is going to defend the sideline to sideline passing game, which Syracuse did not. I mean, they had the dominant run offense before. Now they have the sideline to sideline passing game as well. I don't know how Virginia is going to defend any of it. My, my adjusted line on this game is, is uh, Syracuse minus 12.8. I don't even, to me personally, I don't even think that goes far enough. If I was to set this line, it would be more like Syracuse minus 14, minus 14 and a half. If you can get Syracuse in the single digits, absolutely buy the ticket. All right, let's go to some games with an enormous amount of cash on one side. And um, Thor, I wrote on the sheet, uh, it's in the private chat there. I put the tickets on there as well. So you can see uh, where all of these games are. We're going to start with. UCF uh, minus 20 versus Georgia Tech. That's got 99% of the cash on it, which was just a crazy amount. Usually you just don't see that. Um, UGA uh, minus 45 has a considerable amount of cash on that. Utah uh, at Arizona State. Of course, Arizona State just firing Herm Edwards has an enormous amount of cash. That one is actually much closer on the tickets. Georgia and Utah, much closer on the tickets. There's a big discrepancy in UCF. Utah minus, or excuse me, uh, Memphis minus 11 and a half versus North Texas has got a big chunk. That's a little closer in the tickets than normal. Uh, Auburn minus seven against Missouri has a massive amount of cash. Georgia Southern minus 10 versus Ball State as well. And UNLV uh, at Utah State minus two and a half uh, has a big amount of tickets. So when you look at those games, is there one or two that, you either love you're definitely on the cash side or that you just despise and you say, how can we be laying this many points? Because there's no underdogs in this that are getting, uh, you know, the cash it's all favorites. So a lot of people think that these teams are just going to absolutely dominate. There's a couple of these that I've already bet. And then there's a couple that I, I have leans on um, that, let me ask you first that the UCF Georgia tech. So that's 99% of the money is on UCF, but only 52% of the tickets. Is that what it is? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That, that's uh, I mean, that's what I saw yesterday. So yeah, the, uh, that let one, you, we, let me give you an updated number on that one. Let me yeah. look for it real quick. And, and, and as you are, you know, I'll just sort of fill the audience in, in, uh, we, we talked a little bit about this one on, on the discord, uh, that we do right before this, where 98 to 56, it hasn't moved a bunch. Wow. Yeah. The um, UCF, not only, of course, are they the objectively better team, and not only do you wonder about Georgia Tech's mindset and how their effort is going to be in this game, because the Jeff Collins era, we have reached just about midnight when he turns into a pumpkin. I don't know if it's going to happen after this game. The game after that, we'll see. Um, we've had one coach firing. Each of the last two Sundays, are we going to get Jeff Collins on on Sunday? <laughs> we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. It's 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 definitely in play. Uh, Georgia Tech, they're a team that doesn't do anything good, but the thing that they're objectively the worst at, it's defending the run. That's what you. It's by far what UCF does the best. Uh, you know, I mean, UCF has the, the quarterback is very much John Reese Plumley, very much in line with the uh, quarterbacks that. How do I put this? Gus Gus Melzon fetishizes. He's like sort of in the, <laughs> the same bucket as like a Nick Marshall, where it's like, you know, I mean, you know, like they they you know, Auburn had Cam Newton for the one year, but like with you know wheels. If, if, they got wheels. Exactly. It's 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 a guy with who can scramble, 
who can also, he has a little bit of arm strength and his biggest weakness by far is accuracy. Gus has always been able to work with those guys. That's uh, just the easiest. I'll fix them. You know, uh, they've got the arm, they've got the wheels. I'll fix the accuracy. That's like, that's the arrogance of most coaches is I can fix anybody. Right. hundred so. percent. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, the way Gus sees it is when my running game is humming and if I have a quarterback like that, it will be because his offensive lines are typically good. The running back talent is typically good. The running back room is typically deep that, that once that thing gets rolling downhill and they start playing the tempo and it's like six yard run, they sprint back to the line, snap it right away, five yard run. And then, you know, stuff like that, the defense gets on their heels and then that's when you open up the passing game. So you can sort of solder over some of the, the accuracy limitations just by getting the defense on their heels. And all of a sudden we do the quick pass out to the left, you know, et cetera. Um, Gus, we talked in, in you know, in, in the previous show about how Gus had some very weird play calling tendencies against Louisville that may have caused UCF that game. But that was a game where UCF was trailing by a possession or whatever for a large part of it. You wouldn't anticipate that they're going to be trailing against Georgia Tech. So the yeah. game script that you need to get the blowout would seem to be right there for you. Where Because once UCF gets that double-digit lead, that's when they become crazy scary. Because now it's the sprint back to the line and they're running, 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 et cetera. It, they don't have to put John Reese Plumley back in the pocket and ask him to survey, which is what they did way too much against Louisville. And again, in my opinion, they gave the game away through that. They yeah. match up well here, but this is a very big number, especially when you, you're not crazy confident in UCF. But there's no chance I would bet Georgia Tech in that game. If I had to bet it, <laughs> I would definitely be leaning to UCF. Uh, are there any other uh, games out of this group that you have a good lean on between yeah, the uh, J Lion 45, Utah Lane 14, Memphis 11 and a half, Auburn 7, Georgia Southern 10, and UNLV 2 and a half? So the, the, I have one on this group of games, I have one ticket purchased so far. Uh, that ticket was on Auburn minus six and a half. It's now ticked up to seven. I, I totally understand that. I think that the line, this line is going to be above seven by the time it kicks. Who knows? Maybe mm -hmm. even by the time we get off, you know, get off the recording, <laughs> it, 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 it opened low because nobody wants to bet on Brian Harson, and everybody expects Brian Harson not to be their coach next year. I understand all that. I also, you know, we talked about this before, but Brian Harson's game plan in the last game against Penn state was one of the dumbest things that I've seen all season. It was even dumber than Gus letting Plumley throw 33 times in a close game against Louisville where Penn state's defense they really, really struggle tackling. Their, their tackling conversion rates, bottom 10 in the country. And Auburn did not give the ball to the guy who is the hardest to tackle on their sideline, Tang Bigsby. Touched the ball 11 times in that game. It just made absolutely no sense. Yeah. And the game was just getting away from Auburn, and Harson seemed to be panicking more and more as it did. Uh, this game, you know, we talk about, like, the game scripts and what that facilitates. You would not expect Missouri to be able to ambush Auburn in this spot Missouri has bad quarterback play, number one. The receiving room is not as good as people wanted it to be yet. You know, they had signed Luther Burden, the five-star receiver. I think people thought he'd come in right away and be like the college version of Randy Moss. He's right. not playing well so far. Like, I mean, he's he's playing and he's getting some catches, but like, you know, on a per-snap basis, it, it hasn't been the best. The, the routes are, are clearly not totally polished yet the ball skills need a little bit of work etc the rest of their receiving core is not that great it's a bunch of cast offs from other schools or else guys that were stuck you know on the depth chart like earlier in their careers etc and then the running game they i mean that's what last year they funneled all the touches to tyler Beatty, both in the running game and also in the receiving game tyler Beatty, of course is now on the baltimore ravens that missouri now has gone to this like they're rotating like three different guys in it's nathaniel pete and then like Two other kids, two other lower profile kids that they didn't sign in the portal. Um, I, I don't love that offense. I don't love their offensive line either. And I certainly don't like Missouri's defense. You would like to think that that Harson, uh, now going back to the Auburn side, that Harson is going to listen to all the criticisms over, you know, that he's been hearing for the last three, four days, not about him personally, but about game planning. Get the friggin' ball to Tank Bigsby. If they, <laughs> yeah. if, if Tank Bigsby has twenty or more touches in this game, I'm telling you, Auburn is going to cover. I, I, I do, I do like Auburn for all those reasons. My, my line's also closer to Auburn minus ten. Auburn's defense is really good. That that hasn't changed, 
they're and and unlike Penn State, they're reliable tackling. Penn State might have more dudes, you know, in terms of athletes and stuff like that. But overall, over the entire body of work, uh, Auburn has been at least more reliable with their run fits and then converting the tackles. Missouri doesn't have the singular athletes that the Penn State offense had. Right. Where, yeah, you know, where where they could start outrunning people once they got into space between Singleton and a couple of those receivers. Missouri doesn't have guys like that. So I, I, I like Auburn to control that game and to, and to win by double digits in a get-right game for Brian Hartson that he badly needs. It's not just the, the, the context of the short term. If you look at the rest of Auburn's schedule after this Missouri game, it is about as grisly of a schedule as you're going to see, you know, for the last eight games or whatever it is. Brian Harson needs this game to keep his job. He, I don't think he'll get fired if he loses it, but he's going to lose a whole bunch of those last eight games. So th- this is a must-have, and they know it. I, I do like Auburn in that one. The other ones for me are more leans or else thought experiments, I guess I would say. <laughs> I have thought about – I almost don't even want to admit this one. This is one of the bets that stinks. So it's not just a hold your nose game. It stinks so much that I, I don't even want to admit publicly that I've been thinking about betting on this team. And I actually still might, it won't be in my column, but I actually might have a bet on this team live. And again, I'm trepidatious to say it, but I'm absolutely considering betting on Arizona state against Utah. I, I can't believe I'm saying it, but with, the, with where the line is, well, these games go either way. After you fire a coach, you talked about the dead cap bounce and yeah. all of that before these games go one of two ways where it's either they get slaughtered, you know, because their coach is gone and they're upset and they're not putting t- forth the, the effort or they go out there and they play way better expected because this was a long time coming. And yeah. the Herm Edwards one, was just so clear and obvious that this was going to happen as soon as they had an embarrassing loss happening against East Michigan. Goodbye, Herm. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I think I'm with you on this. It was quite obvious to the 20-plus guys that left in the transfer portal from Arizona over the offseason. Maybe not as clear to the guys that Herm ended up signing to replace them. I'm sure Herm was, you know, sort of selling, like, I'm going to be here for your entire time. Uh, uh, But, yeah, I mean, you saw between the defections the coaches have and the roster where that where that thing was going. Um, And then, you know, they they had so many different new players, which made it even harder for Herm at the beginning of the season. Doesn't excuse the EMU thing at all. And it turned out to be the uh, what would you call it? The anvil that broke Herm's back in, in this case, where it didn't really seem like the guy that hired him, the Ray Edwards, whatever, or Ray Anderson, right? The AD, whatever his name is. He didn't really care about the scandal so much as losing to EMU. He, you know, like he, he just let Herm survive that thing wow. until they lost to EMU. And then it looks like Anderson fired Herm Edwards when he was literally walking off the field. I think they, they said, I think they were in that meeting. They're like, we're, we're going to have a meeting tomorrow. And maybe I think Herm was like, maybe. Right, oh, I, I would love to have the audio of when he caught up to oh, Herm walking of off the field. We got the video. We don't have the audio. It's possible that he was fired right then. If not, I, I think the AD already knew he was going to get fired. But as far as this game, going back to your point, if there's anyone out there that has against the spread data of the week after a coach gets fired in college football, going back years and years, please reach out to me on Twitter. My 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 mm-hmm. handle is at ThorKU. My DMs are open. Please send it to me. I, I was mm-hmm. looking around uh, mostly because I'm too lazy to go case by case beyond last year. Sure, sure. I can tell you last year, I wasn't too lazy to accrue those numbers. Last year, it was even. It was like... There, there was like 12 instances of this or 10. It was something like that, but it was uh, 500 against the spread. It was like yeah. six and six against the spread for, for the team. Of course, Nebraska last week, talking about the Sharps being wrong, they were wrong on Nebraska last week. All the Sharps <laughs> were on Nebraska last week. And that game, they they were bur- they had a ticket bonfire in the second quarter, early in the second quarter of that game. It, it, it was over. Nebraska, <laughs> you didn't get the, the bounce up performance. With Arizona State, we'll see if, if we get it. It's, it. it's certainly possible. But I think that the real point, at least with recent history, until I can get some historical data, if, if anyone else has accrued it, my, my working theory on this is don't 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 rotely go one way or the other of just assuming sure. that a team that just fired its culture is going to continue to be awful, nor should you consider that they're going to play way up the next week. It remains it's case by case. It's yeah. case by case. Like it, everything. Like everything, it all depends on the handicap in question. Um, In in this one, I am showing uh, value on Arizona State objectively, even though I toggle them down in my my power rankings. 
my line on this game is Utah minus 9.1. And and now the, the line was up to 16 and a half at one point. Maybe it's down to 15 and a half or 15 right now. But over the two touchdowns, objectively, that is too many points to give. It seems like a reaction to Oklahoma smoking Nebraska last week, even though that doesn't have anything to do with this game or people wanting to be out on Arizona state. And look, nobody loves Utah more than me. Nobody was banging the drum more for Utah. Nobody liked Utah more in the opener against Florida. Still pissed that I didn't get the cover in that one. But I, I do like Utah as a team. This doesn't have anything to do with Utah. This has to do with the line going way above what it should be just because of the circumstance of the week. When we know historic, well, at least over the last year and a half with the data, it doesn't affect it one way or the other. I mean, they're right around 500 as far as the week after you fire your coach. I would absolutely lean Arizona State with where this line has gotten. They tack like eight points onto that after Arizona State fired Herm Edwards. Herm Edwards is not worth eight points. It it, it has gone above what it should be, but I haven't bet it yet. Uh, I I need to get some, uh, you know, the, you know, something to plug my nose. But I, I absolutely might bet Arizona State hard lean on Arizona State. That's uh, that, that's a take your medicine bet right there. Sure. A uh, c- yeah. couple of overs here, Thor. Um, before we get to the top five games, App State versus James Madison over fifty nine has a huge lean, but the tickets are less than fifty percent on the over. Most tickets on the under, which is just crazy. Uh, WKU versus uh, Florida International. 65 and a half is getting uh, hammered with that over Miami versus uh, middle Tennessee over 52 and a half is getting smashed on both sides, cash and tickets. And then Washington versus Stanford over 63 and a half uh, hard on the cash, not so hard on the tickets. So uh, you got any good lean on a total between these four games store. Yeah, these are, none of these are the, I, I do have two totals in my column. None of these are those, but it's interesting because the market is in line with where my system is pointing you. Uh, mm. the, the middle Tennessee Miami game. Um, when I, what is that live Scott? The, the total, it was, uh, I will double check, it a, but it was 52 and a half. Yes. Okay. And that's, that's what I had in my sheet too. My adjusted total on that game is 63.5. It is well above what, what, you know, what, what they put out in Vegas. So I'm, my system would definitely be pointing you at, at the over middle Tennessee can throw the ball around a bit. You know, they, they went, they, they've under stock still, they've always been about having like the, the, the quick, small darty guys on the outside and the it's short the passing yeah, game, 52. but they, they've gone even more towards, you know, that way by, by bringing in this air raid offensive coordinator, they can move the ball through the air a little bit, not a great team, but they can move the, the ball through the air a little bit. Um, and then Miami <laughs> last week, you know, maybe this line or the total, maybe it, it started out a little bit depressed because Miami scored in the single digits against Texas A&M. But Scott, we, we just talk- couldn't punch it in. Yeah, exactly. we, we talked we about talking that. About this last we hour, were driving but- and driving and could not. It, this was the definition of bend but don't break, where most college defenses are bend and then break. You know, but <laughs> yeah, uh, it was we, we had Texas a wild A&M executed it perfectly last we, week. We, we had a wild stat where Miami last week became the first team since at least the year two thousand. I don't know how far this goes back to get 20 or more first downs without an offensive touchdown. Crazy. Like unthinkable f- to move the ball as effectively as Miami did without, without cashing one eventually in Miami's off. Don't downgrade Miami's offense because of what happened last week. Um, A&M has a good defense and they were still moving the ball on them. Obviously they had the struggles within the red zone. They'll have to figure that out against better defenses, but I still trust that offense to move the ball. They have a good offensive line. They have a first round NFL, uh, pro- first round NFL draft prospect at quarterback. They have a lot of guys on the outs, even without Restrepo, they still go three or four deep and guys that are dangerous on, you know, in, in their receiving court, they have two tight ends that might play in the NFL, two different ones. And the running back room now has gotten quite good since they've gotten Henry Parrish. You add him to Knighton and some of those other guys, some of those other guys, you know, it's, it's sort of, you think of like Swiss army knife and, and having different utilities before that's all they had. Now you had Parrish to that, who's, whose skill set is a little bit more fleshed out. You allow yeah. the guys behind him to do the situational stuff that they're good at. Remember last week when we were talking about AM about how Achain's game had played a little bit down without Spiller because Spiller could, you know, he could handle the right. load and, and do, do that sort of stuff. Miami didn't have that guy before, but now they sort of do with Parrish, a guy that can handle heavy usage. So I, I, I like that offense. I think Middle Tennessee's uh, offense probably better than people think, and uh, Middle Tennessee's defense ain't going to put up any sort of a fight. So, I, you know, I definitely like that one. The, the Over the Western Kentucky game, too, my system loves that one. 
my system, I think. Yeah, I like yeah. that. My system set that one at 74 and a half. Uh, Florida International's defense is one of the three worst in the nation. <laughs> Western Kentucky, they can't wait to find a spot for Austin Reed to be able to have his, his get-right game. They they played pretty decent last week. The receivers were dominating Indiana's secondary, as expected. Reed has gotten a little bit better each game. He, he was the kid who, who they signed was the D2 player of the year, brought him in to replace Bailey Zappi. The first couple of games, the offense wasn't quite as explosive as we'd like. But again, he was learning the system and it's gotten a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. Um, I, I think this is a game where they go absolutely ballistic. FIU does not have the bodies in the secondary to be able to match up with Western Kentucky across the formation. And FIU on their side, Western Kentucky defense, has, of course, has been no great shakes this year. They, you know, they gave up, what, 25 points to an FCS team and and, and last week against Indiana, India, they, they did hold Indiana down to, at the start of the game, but then the one drive they needed to stop them, they couldn't. Indiana drove the length of the field with three minutes left and you know, scored that touchdown then got the two-point conversion. I, I think FIU will be able to put up some points against Western Kentucky as well. I, I was leading the Western Kentucky side earlier in the week because Vegas put out a bad number. It was like Western Kentucky minus 26 or 26 and a half when it opened. The, the market justifiably bumped Western Kentucky up to – you know, whatever it is now, like a 30, 30. 31 point favorite. Yeah. Um, my adjusted line on that is 32.4. But w- with with the line movement, the way that it has, I can't bet Western Kentucky anymore. I, I also can't. I'm certainly not going to be betting on FIU. The play in that game for me would be the over for sure. Yeah, it looks like you can get it uh, at 31 uh, or 30 and a half now. So like you said, that has expanded a bunch. Let's get into these top five games, uh, Thor. We've got. Number five, Clemson at number 21, Wake Forest. Clemson is a seven-point favorite in that game. Um, Looks like you like Clemson in that one. Florida, number 20 on the road against number 11, Tennessee. Tennessee is a 10.5-point game. You're kind of right on the line in that one. 62.5 is the over. Number 10, Arkansas. Number 23, Texas A&M. Texas A&M is a home favorite by 2.5 points. Kind of right in line where you're at uh, as well. Baylor, number 17 at Iowa State. Uh, Iowa State is a two and a half point favorite in that game. And number 15, Oregon uh, on the road is a touchdown favorite by seven at Washington State. 57 and a half uh, is the line in that game. So uh, any significant leans in these big five games that everyone's going to be watching the nationally televised ones here? Yeah, I, I I lean hard on Clemson if that number is at seven. You know, like like you were sort of alluding to, my adjusted line in that game is closer to Clemson minus 10. Um, I, I want to see, there's a couple of different things. I, I, first of all, is Brian Brees. I, I, I assume that he is going to play. He didn't play in the last game because of tragedy. His, his yeah. sister died with, with brain cancer. Certainly understandable. It would also be understandable if he misses more games than, sure. than just the one. Um, the game that they played before was against Louisiana tech. They didn't necessarily need him to beat Louisiana right. tech. This game far more pressing, especially against that slow mesh that, that wake forest does. How do you defeat the slow mesh? It's blowing it up at the mesh point. Right. It's 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 getting that immediate pressure with your defensive line. Well, that's what Clemson does the best of. They they have the best front seven in college football. And I, I say that knowing how good, you know, for instance, Georgia's front seven is, et cetera. But Clemson has four different guys that are going to get drafted high starting along that defensive line. They have multiple rotational guys in the defensive line after that that are going to be drafted, perhaps even in the middle rounds. Then they might have the best linebacker in college football in, in, in that Simpson kit. So they have all kinds of uh, talent up front. They have disrupted that slow mesh in the past, and it totally screws up that that the, the timing of that Wake Forest offense. The, the, the reason that the Wake Forest, the slow mesh, that it discombobulates other defenses – Again, you take that away if you can disrupt that. You, you have to hurry up the quarterback, hurry up the running back. They could drop the ball. They can make bad decisions from there. Uh, the routes of the receivers aren't able to, to fully flesh out and flower out. So so we'll, we'll, we'll see about that. I do think Clemson matches up well. Uh, Sam Hartman has only been back for a couple of games since coming back from, from that illness. I just think the seven number is a little bit too low, but there's some of these unanswered questions that I have. And I can also say, I know that Wake Forest is the sharp side so far. Predominantly, that's where the the the, the money of the sharps have been going towards that way. So, because of all you know, sort of my questions about it, I sort of talked myself out of betting on on a lean so far 
on Clemson. But if I do bet that one, it'll be Clemson. As long as that number stays at seven, I'm not interested if it toggles up to seven and a half. Um, if it goes to six and a half, I'm definitely buying a Clemson ticket for sure. So, so, so we'll just we'll just see the way that that one goes. The Florida Tennessee one, I can't touch the side because uh, first of all, I don't trust Florida. Second of all, Tennessee is beaten around two patsies, and then the other game when they played a legitimate opponent, they probably should have lost. They, they were down on Pittsburgh for most of the game, and then they had to come back at the very end. I and then you and that also, was because Slovis got hurt, right? Then Nick Patty come in. Yeah, exactly. Right. They, yeah. Tennessee injured Slovis and then Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah. That you also have in this game of key contributors on both sides where we don't know if they're going to play and seeming like they might not from what I'm hearing. Cedric Tillman's the big one on the Tennessee side. Uh, And it seems like at least what my birdies are telling me, we'll, we'll see when it comes to Saturday. (laughs) my birdies told me yesterday that Jordan Travis wasn't going to play. And then he, re- he kicked the, the walking boot and he was back out of practice today. I don't know if he's going to play either, but like, you know, it's <laughs> with, with the college football injury thing. It's a whole nother can of worms that we don't have sure. the time to get into, but the, the fact that they don't have to report the injuries at all. Not, I mean, not even accurately. Yeah. The they, fact they that have you have to be the spy master varies to figure yes. it out. Kind of sucks. You do so. have to be various. Yeah, yeah. You got to send your little birdies in. You got to do the whole thing. But, um, you know, with Tillman, we don't know what the status is yet, but it does seem like the, those around the team right now, they lean towards him not playing. Then on the also Jabari Small, one of one of their rotational backs, they have a couple other ancillary parts as well that are questionable on the Florida side. The biggest one for them is Ventrell Miller, their linebacker. Ventrell Miller has had durability questions the, the past three years, really, when it's really weird to watch Florida's defense regardless of who the coaches were, Mullen, the assistants, Napier. Now, every time Ventro Miller is in the game, Florida's defense plays up. Whenever Ventro Miller is not in the game, it plays down. That that much is is, is irrefutably true. So if, if Ventro Miller is not playing against Tennessee, you like the matchup of Tennessee's offense against Florida's defense. If Ventro Miller is playing for Florida, uh, you would like Florida's defense in that matchup a little bit more, <laughs> especially if Tillman isn't playing. But my number is really close to what the Vegas number is. But I'm not showing any real discrepancy too close at all. To call. Yeah, yeah, it's too close to call. And I also don't know about these key players, what's going to happen with them. My system, though, I will say, leans heavily towards the over of this game. But again, that's not counting uh, uh, Cedric Tillman if he ends up being out, which does compromise that, that Tennessee receiving court because when he plays, they got three studs out there. It's really hard to, de- to defend them. So... Right now, I, I'm definitely not going to play the side no matter what, no matter what I hear. Um, I will consider an overplay. I would love to hear that Tillman is going to play and that Miller is not going to play. And then I would get real confident in it. But I, I just don't know that yet. So I'm, I'm waiting on some information there. Uh, A&M against Arkansas, I'm staying away from that one. I That's don't have, fair. I don't have a good read on either of these two teams. I've tried to fade both of them so far. I've gotten close. <laughs> But no cigar. Uh, I tried to fade Arkansas in the opener against Cincinnati. I thought Cincinnati had a real shot to win that game outright as a six and a half point underdog. And because of the circumstances in that game, uh, Arkansas not only ended up winning it, but ended up covering, I, I think they won by seven and, and, and covered by a half a point. And then AM last week, you know, like I, I tried to bet Miami plus six and a half. And even though Miami actually had a good offensive game, they also had a good defensive game, they still failed to cover that game. Uh, you yeah. Know, because they couldn't punch the touchdowns in once they got into the red zone. So I, I don't feel like I have a great read on, on either of these teams yet. Uh, A&M, I do, my, my system has A&M favored by 4.2 points. So I guess my system would slightly lean uh, towards A&M, but I, I, I'm definitely not going to be touching that one. Baylor, Iowa State, that's a really interesting one, um, especially with where the market has taken that line, where it opened as Baylor minus one or one and a half. And now it's Iowa State minus two and a half or even three at a, at a lot of books right now. That's it, it makes you scratch your head a little bit because I, I don't know any sharp that thinks at full strength, both these teams, that Baylor's not the better team than Iowa State. But unfortunately for Baylor, they're not at full strength. They, they have numerous guys that missed last week and it we don't know yet, but it doesn't seem to be trending well. The starting running back, uh, Tay McWilliams, their slot receiver, Baldwin, the tight end Sims, I'm not even hitting all of them. There's even more guys that are a little bit compromised. So, so they have some injury concerns there. And especially the, the thing that concerns you is the skill guys, if they're out again, 
Blake Shapin has not looked as good as it's not me. It's Baylor. Baylor thought Blake Shapin was going to look better. They wouldn't have told uh, Jerry Bohannon to go and kick sure. rocks and leave if if they knew that that Shapin wasn't going to play as well. You wonder is that because Shapin's been playing with skill guys that he didn't think he would be because of the injury concerns early on, or is Shapin just not quite as good as they thought? Baylor's also played, you know, I mean, they played BYU. They, you know, they they played some teams so far. They have, you know, it hasn't been like Minnesota playing three cupcakes, whatever. So, so that stuff's up in the air with them. Um, and, and, and perhaps because of that, that's why this line has moved to Iowa state minus three. I, I know someone very close to the Baylor program who over the years has helped me out quite a bit with Baylor handicaps. Cause it seems like he's on every single time I, right. I messaged that guy to ask him what he thought about this game. And he did not sound very confident on the Baylor side. So, and, and typically, I mean, when he is confident, he'll let you know that he, he is confident. He is not confident in this game, perhaps because of a confluence of those factors. I, I can't bet Baylor because of all those different reasons. I also don't love Iowa State, though. They, they have a decent yeah. defense. The offense is super duper young. Um, they didn't do much against Iowa. They lost they, everybody last year. Yeah, so, every, yeah. literally everybody. Yeah, Purdy, yeah. Brees Hall, the tight ends, most of the offensive line. Uh, against Iowa, they didn't do a ton on offense. They ended up winning anyway because of the fumble at the goal line by Potty Bomb, and then they had the Iowa State had their one good drive coming off of that. But I, it, it's hard to trust them against a Dave Aranda defense too. So you're sort of on both sides being like, who can I trust? Classic stay away game. The the Oregon Washington State game is interesting in from an information perspective for me. I don't see an edge on this one. You know, just in terms of the numbers, I guess my numbers would slightly lean Oregon at, at I, I think I got Oregon minus 8.8, but I, it's hard for me to take them off of their triumphant win last week when they slapped around BYU. I, We've I think, seen them look really good and really bad. So it's hard to know who the real Oregon is right now. Well said. It, it's sort of, you know, I'm coming to you live from Minneapolis. It's sort of like the Vikings in the first two games. They, they slapped <laughs> yes. around the Packers and then they got slapped around by the Eagles. It was. I it, had them in that game yesterday. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the inverse in this case where Oregon got absolutely annihilated, just got run over like the, you know, Coyote or whatever in the first game uh, by Georgia. And then in the last game, they were the team slapping around BYU. The team we mentioned that, you know, that, that had beaten Baylor, pulled that game out in overtime. But BYU in that game was without both their 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 top two receivers, Gunnar Romney, who hasn't played yet this year, right. and then Puka Nakua. So BYU was down, and BYU went into that game off of that win against Baylor, where they sort of had to figure things out and then scratch and claw and then pull it out in overtime, force overtime, and then pull it out in overtime. Now Oregon comes in off that win, which is big for them. Now you have to travel out to the Palouse out there in, in Pullman, Washington, out, out up in the wilderness, to play this Washington state team who has definitely played better than we have all anticipated so far, but I don't know anyone that can get their fingers totally on Washington state. They're, right. they're, they're not Mike Leach's Washington state. They're not Nick Rolovich's Washington state. This team is something different. They've clearly improved on, on defense. Um, the offense will see they've done a better job of not putting themselves into bad spots I think that maybe you would have thought heading in because Cam Ward last year in the FCS, even though he put up bazooka numbers, he threw a whole bunch of interceptions. Washington State is doing a better job of at least controlling the ball on offense, but they have not been as explosive nor, I, I think, as efficient overall as, as they have been in the past. It, this one, for me, it could go either way. I, I feel like Washington State is licking its chops with the situational spot it's in, getting that Oregon team off that off that win over BYU, feeling itself slapping around BYU. Now they come in there. Maybe you ambush them. But Oregon, they're feeling good, too. I think they think that they figured things out after that the disaster of the opener. For me, that's an informational game, and I think we're going to get some good information out of it. All right, going to the games that you like, Thor. We only have two this week. Uh, Cincinnati is a 14 point favorite and you like them, uh, much more than that against Indiana and Louisiana is a nine point home favorite against, uh, or a road favorite, excuse me, against Louisiana Monroe. Uh, and you like them significantly more than that. Tell us about those games if you would. Yeah. So one of these, my system loves it and I love it. And then the other one, my system loves it, and I can't go with my system on it. The, <laughs> the, the one that we both love is Cincinnati. Yeah, and and producer Thomas will know all about this one because right when the lines dropped on Sunday, it was I, I was Jim Cramer, bye 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 bye, hammer Cincinnati because the books made a mistake, opened it in single digits, you know minus Cincinnati minus eight or whatever because Indiana is 
undefeated in fluke circumstance. We'll talk about that in a second. But indeed, it got immediately hammered up to Cincinnati minus 14. By the time people woke up on Monday morning, it was Cincinnati minus 14. It already jumped six points just because of the market movement on it. And But even that didn't go far enough. Like my adjusted line in that game was, was like 19.8, I guess. And, and so then, it, you know, got to 14 by Monday morning. And then now it's up to 16 and a half. I still don't think that's far enough. For me, until this thing gets up to 20, it is too short. It, it, it just is. Look at the resumes. Of, throw out the records, but look at the resumes of what actually happened. Yes, Indiana's 3-0, and but in the first game, they pulled a game out of their butts against Illinois where they, they, they were down for a lot of it, and then they had to drive the length of the field at the very end to pull that game out after Brett Bielema made all those stupid decisions when he got first and goal and it was just run up the middle, run up the middle, run up the middle, run up the middle, <laughs> turn the ball over, and then Indiana goes 99 yards or whatever. And then the next week, Indiana hosts Idaho, who not only is Idaho an FCS team, they're not a particularly good FCS team. Last year, they went 4-7. and seven. They'd lost the game heading into the, the Indiana one. Idaho led Indiana on their home field 10 to nothing at halftime. Indiana had to rally in the second half to beat them. And then last week, you know, we were talking all week, love Western Kentucky. Love Western Kentucky to upset Indiana. Don't even need the points. Western Kentucky was a six and a half point underdog. They controlled that entire game. They did whatever they wanted to do. But Indiana just hung around, you know, it's like the Teddy KGB. With, with yeah, Mikey hang McKee. around, hang yeah. around. Alligator Kids blood. got alligator blood. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Indiana just, they hung, it, it kept feeling like it was on the precipice of getting out of hand on the Western uh, Kentucky side where, you know, they, they would score a touchdown and then, you know, it's going to like, you know, it's going to be like 16 points and then Indiana would have to go YOLO in their passing game. We get a pick six and it, the, the route would be on. But Indi it didn't happen. Indiana just kept hanging around, hanging around. They got the ball with three minutes left. They were down by eight. They drove the length of the field, scored the touchdown, got the two-point conversion at the very, very end, 20 seconds left, forced overtime. Western Kentucky misses the field goal on the front end of it. Indiana gets their field goal on the back end. So they ended up winning that game, another game that they had absolutely no business winning. So Indiana's a 3-0 and team who really should be 1-2. and and the, the game that, you know, again, the win was against FCS Idaho when they didn't look good in, in, in that game either. Uh, and, and on the Cincinnati side, I, I sort of think it's the opposite. They, they maybe should have beat, Ar uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Arkansas in, in, in the opener. That thing didn't go their way. But Cincinnati is, is a solid team. Last week, they started out sluggishly against Miami of Ohio, who's an above average MAC team. But then Cincinnati just slapped them around after halftime. They, 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 Covered every line of that one, both the side, second half line, everything like that. Cincinnati has more talent than people think. And now that the quarterback play is established after in camp, you know, they were wondering, are we going to go Bryant? Are we going to go Prater? How, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do in the running back room? There's so many different names. They've sorted through that stuff now. And now also the receiving core is starting to become more solidified as well. I, I love Cincinnati in this game. Again, this line should be Cincinnati minus 20 or minus 21. As long as you can get it under that, and certainly if you can get it 14 or less by Cincinnati, that's it's one of my favorite plays of the week. And getting it even lower made me even more <laughs> confident. But even at 14 or, you know, be, between that and 17, definitely a buy. The, the one where it's not that I disagree with my system. It's I just can't get my finger on this one. My system loves Louisiana, or as some people would call them, Louisiana Lafayette. ULL. At, yeah, at, at, at UL Monroe in this case. My system has Louisiana or Louisiana Lafayette by 17 and a half. And the live line has come all the way down to Louisiana minus nine. The reason that I can't bet it, it, it it's twofold. I have been a little bit higher on UL Monroe than the market. They they swapped out their coordinators. They, they had Rich Rodriguez, an offensive coordinator before, and Rich yeah. Rodriguez had already started his early, what, what, what do you call it, soft quitting. Rich Rodriguez had already started his soft retirement. But, but before that, and and UL Monroe was not equipped to run his 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 offense, even when his kid was the quarterback. Uh, and then they <laughs> they had a, a, a an equally big dope as a defensive coordinator. They swapped those things. They they went and back and got the, the offensive coordinator they'd had, Matt Lubick. The last time that they were good on offense, you bring him back in. The offense has ticked up early on in in the season, and the defense. It's not that the talent has jumped up, but they seem to be more at least on the same page which is uh, an upgrade over what we saw last year. Louisiana, a team that has been dominant in that conference for the past several years under Billy Napier. You lose Napier, but not only that, Napier took some players with them, your best players, 
They lost some of the other players as well. They they had lost all the NFL running backs that you remember from recent years, like in your memory, like Elijah Mitchell and, and yeah. Regis and all uh, Regs to what I call him Regis to Riches. I used to call mm. that Trey Regis kid. But anyway, they, they had all these different you know NFL guys that they lost previously, and then you lose a bunch of the guys that transfers. Some of them w- with Napier, they're still trying to figure things out. And like I said, I can't get my finger on that team yet. Qualitatively, yeah. this line should be higher. Just that's dictated by the talent levels on both teams. Louisiana Lafayette certainly is the more talented team here, and they're more talented enough to justify a double-digit spread on the road. It's just again, UO Monroe has taken a little bit of a step up. We're talking about the dregs of the FBS, but they have taken an objective step up. Whereas Louisiana Lafayette, we know that they've taken multiple steps down. The question becomes: just how far has Louisiana fallen? I, we're going to get a better sense after this game because if they boat race UO Monroe at UO Monroe, uh, you know, I, I think I think some of the people that adjusted them way, way down in their power rankings to justify a bet on UO Monroe, which which is clearly happening. That's why this line has dropped as far as it right. is. Th- th- then you could sort of start toggling it back for UO Lafayette. But I, I just can't trust them yet. It's like, I don't know them. I don't know who the person on, <laughs> on the other end of the door knocking is. You know, and I don't have the people. So I, I, I don't know if I can open that door or not. I, I, I just can't trust them. Yeah. I got to yeah, look. I, I, I agree with that. Uh, anything else for week four? I mean, I think we covered uh, most of it here. So uh, anything else from you, Thor? That's all I got. That's all we got. It's all we need. So uh, that is going to wrap it up for us. Remember, you can follow us on the Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself at Thor KU. Uh, for Thor and Thor, what do you have coming up this week? Uh, what's on docket for you? Yeah, we got the uh, the best bets column coming out tomorrow. It's into the publisher. It should be out by by the morning whenever you guys wake up. Then on Saturday, my my show with uh, Mike Farrell, the the kickoff show starts at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. We go for 90 minutes and hit as many games we possibly can on the card sides, totals, props, the the, the whole gamut. So definitely check that out if you haven't. Absolutely. And uh, for me, you can catch me here. You can catch me on Fantasy Pros with Joe P. Zapia talking IDPs. And Thor and I also do a, a Betting Pros Discord chat every single Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern. It's free. It's FRWE. If you guys got a bet, you want to come in and ask us about it, please feel free to join us. We'd love to take your questions. Uh, have I mean, we go through games in there, but we just haven't been getting a lot of questions. So we love some. Oh, we've answered every single, literally Absolutely. every person who raised yeah. their hand. We've answered. So if you, if you guys want to talk to us, want to get a pick in, ask a question, we will call on you up to, uh, up front if, if you're in there and you raise your hand. Absolutely. I also do a betting pros Twitter space on Friday at uh, five Eastern as well. So please join me in that. Uh, if you would uh, catch me on CFB winning edge as well. Talk college football with my guys. Nick and Xavier over there as well. So, uh, but that'll wrap it up for us. Good luck, and we'll see you guys next week. Have a great week for everybody.